FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is a WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now your host, Scott Walker. Right now that time, 8.15, you're listening to WGNS again on this Thursday morning today, the 11th of August. Attorney John Day joins us live in studio this morning. How are you today? Fantastic, Scott. I hope you are. I am. Boy, it rained hard yesterday afternoon, didn't it? Did you? It, it, yes. Everywhere? No, it, it really did. Yes. It. Uh, um, but I always like to see the rain, quite frankly. We can always use it, right? Or almost always use it. That's right. I, I was down at the uh, radio station tower whenever it was just pouring down rain and I, I don't know if you've ever been down there, but there's a little, there's a greenway system down there that goes through the, the wetlands and everything. And uh, it just started pouring. And then I see there, there's some guy walking down the greenway after the rain came and he had like makeup on and, and just chains, just a little different, right? <laughs> right? And then I see somebody run up to him, ask him for his picture. Apparently it was one of the... Uh, sons of one of this red hot chili peppers or something it, it was different i <laughs> i wouldn't know who it was but i overheard who it was yeah so great but yeah interesting <laughs> you never know right after the rain so that's what the rain brings out <laughs> yeah well i i tell you what i did yesterday i was at uh i've got a cabin down at tim's ford lake and when i saw that it was getting ready to come down i went out onto my dock which has a metal roof Ah, yeah. And listened to the rain and watched it sitting from my dock and continuing to work outside. There's something about that sound of rain on a metal roof. Love that sound. Well, anyway, so what's happening? What What's new? Well, I thought we'd talk today maybe a little bit about the Alex Jones trial. Uh, as, uh, some people paid more attention to this than others, of course, but... It made quite a bit of news around the country. Uh, for those who aren't uh, intimately familiar with it, Alex Jones is a talk show host, has a show called InfoWars, and uh, after the Sandy Hook school shooting back in 2012, he spent a good deal of airtime questioning whether or not that actually occurred uh, and called it a hoax on multiple occasions over the years. I, I remember hearing all about that. And, and, and I'm just, I remember wondering how in the world could you question something like that? Well, I, I can't imagine it either. Quite frankly, I, I suppose you could sit around and have those kind of thoughts after you've had two glasses of bourbon <laughs> But why you would say those things out loud, yeah. uh, you know, quite frankly, is something else. And then why you would continue to say them, uh, knowing that there were families out there who lost their children. and uh, But that's what he did time and time again. And in fact, with regard to one of the families, uh, he suggested that it was untrue that the father had held his son's head in his lap when his son died. Wow. So three different lawsuits were filed uh, in two different states, two in Texas and one in Connecticut, alleging um, that Mr. Jones had defamed certain people, that is, had said untrue things, and second, that he had engaged in what the law calls outrageous conduct. And outrageous conduct 
is conduct that is so atrocious that it should not be tolerated, uh, accepted in civilized uh, society. So those lawsuits were brought back in 2018, and the first of them went to trial in Texas uh, two weeks ago. Now, how were they? How were the lawsuits filed in separate states? It seems like it would only be in the state where the incident happened that impacted those families. Well, it can. Uh, the law of where lawsuits can be filed is a combination of two different laws: the law of jurisdiction and the law of venue. So you are right. Lawsuits can be filed where events occur, usually, and. But remember, Alex Jones is sitting in his studio in Texas. With, so the things that are said, that Sandy Hook happened in Connecticut, but his statements were made in Texas. So there is no doubt that he could be sued in Texas because that's where he lived and that's where the statements were made. One family chose to sue in Connecticut because that's where the statements impacted them. Yeah. So... It's interesting. I, I would love to talk to the lawyers involved trying to figure out what went into their mind when they chose their, what lawyers would call, venue. But suffice it to say, two families chose Texas, one family chose Connecticut. And the overall outcome of the case was that the families, I guess they basically won the case, if you would. And is he ordered to pay those families, or how, how does that work? Well, there's only one trial's been resolved, okay. but the families have already won all three cases. So let me explain what I mean by that. When you file a lawsuit, there is an exchange of information between the people who file the lawsuit and the person who's been sued. That process is called discovery. And there's a whole set of rules that you have to follow exchanging information. And Mr. Jones, uh, the court determined, did not play by those rules. In other words, he refused to turn over information that he was asked to turn over and that the judge thought was information that should have been turned over. Hmm. So that happened in Texas. That happened in Connecticut. And quite frankly, we have the same laws in this state in that regard as does Connecticut and Texas. That is... You are expected to play by the rules. The fact that you've got a TV show or a radio program doesn't make any difference. The fact that you're a public official doesn't make any difference. There are rules, and when you're asked to turn over information, you are expected to turn it over unless you object. And if you object to turning over the information, the judge decides whether or not you should turn it over. And if the judge orders you to turn it over, you have to turn it over. And so this, this is a, a discovery fight, a discovery battle. And the ultimate sanction, that is the ultimate punishment for fair to do what the court orders, is to enter what, if it's the defendant, that is the person who's been sued, to enter a default judgment. That is, we're going to take away all your defenses because you failed to follow the rules. So that's what happened in Connecticut. That's what happened in Texas. And Tennessee law is the same. Judges expect their orders to be followed. And when you don't follow their orders, quite frankly, most judges will give you an extra chance. <laughs> but if you don't take advantage of the extra chance, your risk is, if you've been sued, 
you will be your defenses will be eliminated or if you bring a lawsuit your lawsuit will be thrown out of court so the bottom line is uh, courts exist to adjudicate disputes and judges have a right to expect that their orders are going to be followed and there are penalties if you don't so i i guess this would be like saying well i'm not going to answer those questions and by saying that you're saying well if, if i don't turn over this information if I don't answer the questions the judge is asking me i'm basically saying i'm guilty in a sense well you're going to be found as if you were guilty because you refused to participate in the process you know this is remember this is a civil court this is a lawsuit for damages and information has to be exchanged now as i alluded to before you can object and you can say judge the information that my opponent is seeking has absolutely nothing to do with this case and the judge may agree with you but if the judge disagrees with you then you better turn it over or you risk financial penalties or what we call in the law the death penalty that is the case can be uh, you can lose automatically before a jury ever hears the evidence now actions like this take place in everyday court right i, I mean in other words in civil court if uh, another attorney asks the defendant you know hey did this happen on this date and we need this information and then they submit that to the courts and the judge i guess ask the uh, defendant hey did this really occur did you submit this information during the uh, discovery process right um and if they don't submit that information same thing happens in civil court in tennessee right you're you're not playing along by the rules yes except it doesn't happen very often and that's because most people play by the rules they, they realize <laughs> there could be punishment here if yeah I, don't. I mean that they they realize that you know why they may not like a judge's decision they are obliged under the law to follow it so in in tennessee and i there are no statistics on this i cannot i cannot press six buttons on a computer and find this information but i will hazard a educated guess after having done this work for 41 years that the number of times a lawsuit is is thrown out of court because a plaintiff won't cooperate in the discovery process in the entire state is just a few times a year and we've got over 10,000 civil lawsuits filed in state court every single year and just a couple times a year and for a defendant to lose a lawsuit for the judge to say you didn't participate in the process therefore i'm going to declare that you lose that's just maybe one or two times a year it is extremely rare because lawyers tell their clients to cooperate lawyers cooperate and most people take the system seriously so the mr jones is either arrogant or stupid and he was not representing himself right? oh no no he's he's had a covey of lawyers <laughs> representing him over the years uh, he just made the tactical decision that he didn't want to turn this information over and therefore um, he went into a courtroom with the jury being told this man has already lost ladies and gentlemen your job is to uh, determine how much 
he should pay to the this family. Wow. Oh yeah, it's not ideal. I can let, let me also say this: forty-one years. I've I've had. I can't say. Well, I can say over a thousand lawsuits I've been involved in. It's never happened to me. I've never even asked a judge to declare that the other side should be thrown out of court because it just doesn't go that far in the ordinary course. Likewise, none of my cases have ever been dismissed because we didn't follow the rules. It just doesn't happen in the ordinary course. It's truly extraordinary. Well, I think there were some other moments within Jones being in the courtroom that were unusual I think at one point he came in with gum in his mouth even, and the judge was asking, you know, do you have gum in your mouth? And he held his mouth open. I mean, there were just some odd things about the whole court case. Well, that's, once again, it's either stupid or arrogant, right? You, um, There were some days he didn't show up. And, you know, there's, I must say, as a lawyer, I, we've talked about this before on the air, what I do is is help people who've been hurt and I file lawsuits if cases can't be settled and I've been in cases before where my opponent did not show up for trial uh, the for, lawyer for the showed actual up trial. yeah yeah but the truck driver for instance did not show up what happens when that occurs it's a very good thing <laughs> from my standpoint right when your opponent does not show up it reflects a contempt for the process it reflects contempt of the court. And, you know, you may not like being there. Nobody wants to be there. But the idea that you just don't show up without a good reason, that looks really, really bad. So in those circumstances, will the lawyer for that person that doesn't show up speak for him or her and, and move forward? Yes, because that's what you've got to do, right? Yeah. But you are starting a foot back or two, right, when you don't have a client sitting there with you. It's very hard to convince a jury that your client cares about the process when your client doesn't show up. So what happens when the other side starts asking questions? And obviously you don't have the person there to answer those questions. I, I mean, does a lawyer just... Well, well, Mr. Jones showed up for his own testimony. So okay. he was called as a witness in the case, and he showed up for that. Uh, he did not show up for other portions of the trial. So, But the, the advantage of having your client show up is simply that it demonstrates respect for the system. It represents the, the concern for what's going on in the courtroom. It demonstrates respect for the jury. It, it demonstrates respect for the people who've brought a lawsuit against you. You may not like them. You may not agree with them. But at least you're there to listen and uh, defend yourself. Right. You know, I'm just sitting here imagining if I were the one filing the suit, I, it would upset me that the person you're filing the suit against who did you harm in some way, or at least you're alleging they did you harm in some way, didn't even show up. That, that would really bother me. Yes, um, it is salt in the wound. And that's how, quite frankly, I would think most jurors would look at it. Now, once again, sometimes people have to miss a portion of a trial for some legitimate reason. And the judge will excuse them and tell the jury, 
you know, this person had a medical appointment. It had They had to make this appointment. They're going to be gone from 3 o'clock on this afternoon. That's different. But not to show up uh, yeah. is not ideal. Again, on the air with us, Attorney John Day, and talking a little bit about the Alex Jones case. And again, this all revolves around the Sandy Hook School, the elementary school shooting that took place, was it 2012? 2012, good memory, yes. And in that case, it was similar in some ways to the Texas case where the suspect, I believe, shot a family member first and then went to the school. Yeah, in Sandy Hook, the gentleman shot his mother and then went to school, yeah. And do we even know why that occurred? I mean, do we ever... I actually know why. I'm sure there are some people who have followed it close enough that have theories on all that. And I'm, you know, I'm, there's a huge investigation in Connecticut at the time, but I don't recall exactly what that person's mental health history was. No. And then after all of that occurred, Alex Jones, who talks about conspiracy theories all the time, started talking about, I guess, saying this this didn't really occur or. This was make-believe. I, I, it's crazy to even think that direction. Well, it is. And the jury obviously felt it was, too. And so um, they, uh, they awarded two different types of damages in the case. Uh, number one, uh, they awarded compensatory damages. And number two, they awarded punitive damages. Both of those types of damages are available in Tennessee, so it's, it's helpful to understand the difference between them. Compensatory damages are damages designed to compensate the person who was injured or who lost the family of the person who lost their life. Punitive damages are designed to punish. So the law of Texas, the law of Connecticut, and the law of Tennessee all all law the same, both types of damages. The compensatory damage award for the first family, uh, or first, I guess there was two people involved in that case, was $4.1 million, $4.1 million. Then punitive damages, and in Tennessee, quite frankly, it, I can't tell you that the amount would have been the same, but the same things would have been considered by the jury in determining how much to award. The only difference between Texas and Tennessee is that in Texas, only 10 of 12 jurors have to agree on the amount. Hmm. In Tennessee, it's 12 out of 12. That That's a big difference, though. It's a huge difference because any one or two people can materially hold down a number or raise it, right? So, yeah. for example, uh, eight, seven years ago, I tried a case in Columbia where we were offered $150,000 before trial we won uh, after 15 days of trial. I'm sorry, 14, 13 days of trial. But the jury and the jury gave us 1.25 million. Mm-hmm. I tell that story not to talk about the amount, but to say that there were 11 jurors who wanted to give us four million dollars, and one juror who wanted to give us 250 thousand, and they compromised at 1.25 million. The jury did. The jury did in the jury room, right. So the requirement of unanimity of getting 12 out of 12 can impact the result and the ultimate number. Now, we don't know today 
whether the two jurors who did not agree with the $4.1 million wanted to award more or wanted to award less. But the point is, they're a 10-2 state and we are a 12-0 state. Are there a lot of 12-0 states? There's, uh, yeah, there's, I can't tell you how many, but there are others. But most states have gone to either a 10-2 or a 9-3 or a 5-6. Some wow. places only have uh, six jurors and we'll go with five. Different states have different rules. What do you do in cases where, let's say, the jury decides on $5 million, but yet the person who's being sued doesn't have $5 million? What, what happens in the end? Depending on the type of case, there's insurance involved, liability insurance. So in the typical car wreck case, for example, uh, the law requires that people have insurance, liability insurance on their car, and the insurance company would pay first. This was a defamation and outrageous conduct suit. The ordinary person doesn't have insurance for that. This radio station probably has defamation insurance. You've probably been able to purchase that, and you would need that, right? Yeah. But the ordinary person doesn't have that. So Alex Jones, I don't know if he had it or not, but he would have to come out of pocket. He and his company would have to come out of pocket for this money. And if they can't come out of pocket, is there the possibility of jail time? Or in a civil case like that, is is there no chance of jail time? No chance of jail time whatsoever. You're, you, you, you get a piece of paper at the end of a case. So the jury decides an amount. The judge enters what's called a judgment. And that judgment is a piece of paper. And you have a piece of paper that says you're entitled to X number of dollars. When that judgment becomes final, in Tennessee it's 30 days after the judge signs it, mm -hmm. you can collect that judgment. If it does, if there's, there's an appeal entered, then you have to wait until the appeal's over, subject to certain other rules that I won't bore you with, okay? But the piece of paper gives you the right to collect. Then the responsibility is on you as the person who holds the piece of paper who won to collect the money. And in Tennessee, you can chase people for the rest of their lives. The judgment itself is good for 10 years, but you can renew it every 10 oh, wow. years. So, yeah, you can chase people for it. You can... Uh, find out where their assets are and see certain assets. You can have their ch paychecks garnished, take up to 20% of their pay. You can take their savings account, their checking accounts. If they own land in their own name, you can seize the land and have it sold. You um, can actually seize the land. What about a, a personal home? Personal home, it's if it's in their own name. Yes, you would put a lien against it. And then, ah. technically speaking, there's a process you would go through to sell it and take it. What if it's only a judgment of ten or twenty thousand dollars, but the home's worth I don't know five hundred thousand dollars? Would you be ordered by the courts to automatically sell it for that ten thousand dollar no, judgment? You would. What you would do if you were in that situation is go to your friendly banker <laughs> and say. I need $10,000 and you can have a mortgage against my house, right? You mortgage the house to pay that judgment. Okay. Interesting though. It, it, it's, you know, the courts in general 
it is an interesting topic because there are so many different directions that people don't understand which way to take or, or how to go about getting there. Well, and quite frankly, that's what lawyers do, right? And part of what we should be doing is having conversations like this to educate people about how the system works. Definitely. Again, Attorney John Day on the air with us this morning. If you have any questions this morning, feel free to text those in 615-893-1450. And we'll get your question answered for you in just a little while. But we've been talking about the Alex Jones case. Time right now, 840. Stay with us. We do have more to come in just a minute. Again, the time, 840. A check on that forecast comes your way next. By growing up in the rush being always around it. It was just something that was just second nature to me. I didn't realize the amount of work that was involved in it. I, I didn't understand and appreciate all that my parents sacrificed in order to provide for us. And now I'm very thankful and, I, and I'm very appreciative of the foundation that they laid for me so we could teach others to create what they have done to make it more of a legacy than just a passing of the torch. This is Peter Demas inviting you to enjoy a meal with our family at Demas's Restaurant. Hello, this is Amanda from Animal City, inviting your family to come do business with my family. Don't let your dog be bored this fall. Come see us at Animal City for some of the best toys to keep them entertained and engaged. Come see us at Animal City and let our 32 years experience benefit you and your pets. Come check out our selection here at Animal City. We have freshwater, saltwater, corals, and more. Animal City, 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, and Alexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. Let's learn about Adams Place, the area's premier senior living center. We're talking with Terry Deal. What are the advantages of Adams Place offering different types of care? Well, if they're starting on the independent living side, when the time comes for them to go to assisted living, then it's just a natural progression on our campus to move to that next level of care. This takes a lot of the, the responsibility off of the adult children having to make decisions for their parents because their parents have already made the decision. Adams Place is what I'm going to call home whether it is the independent living, the assisted living, or the continuing care, I'm still calling Adams Place home. Adams Place has a full calendar of events uh, in each of our different levels of care. What if you want to have friends over who don't live here? What I like to tell people is that when you move to Adams Place, you really are not changing your lifestyle. You're changing your address. And if your lifestyle still includes friends coming over to play cards or to have a social event with you or family coming over to spend the afternoon or spend the night, that is what you need to continue doing. It's part of your lifestyle, and we want that to continue. This is Terry Deal. would like to invite you to come visit with us at Adams Place. Just give us a call, 615-904-9111. We'd love to show you around our beautiful community. Here at the Almond Joy Factory, where tropical vibes abound, we use soft, fresh-tasting coconut. The crunchiest almonds and delicious chocolate candy. Ah, but do you know what our most important ingredient is? Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. Almond Joy's got nuts and something even way better than that. Yes, Almond Joy is made with almonds and joy. 
hours of the night when everyone else is fast asleep. You're the one on third shift, burning the midnight oil. When a part fails and everything comes to a grinding halt, regardless of what the clock on the wall says, you leap into action. Granger is with you and all the ones who get it done. With 24-7 customer support by phone or click to chat. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger we'll for the ones who get it done. We'll see a few scattered showers and thunderstorms possible late this afternoon with partial sunshine developing a high in the mid-80s. Tonight, partly cloudy skies develop below near 67. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 71. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Right now that time, 8.43, you're listening to WGNS again on this Thursday morning. Attorney John Day with us this morning, talking a little bit about the Alex Jones case in regards to things he said about the shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School that happened in 2012. Uh, So where do these cases stand right now? Well, right now, the case that was just tried is pending what we call post-trial motions. And what that means is that Alex Jones is going to ask the judge for, number one, a new trial, saying that there were mistakes made by the judge or by the opposing lawyer or maybe by the jury that should cause this thing to be thrown out and there should be a new trial or or and he will ask the judge to reduce the damage awards against him remember the compensatory damages were 4.1 million dollars and then they had a second trial within a trial (laughs) with the same jury who decided the amount of punitive damages. Punitive damages are designed to punish, and the jury awarded a total of $45.2 million against him um, for his conduct, 45.2. But here's what's important. Under Texas law, law, the legislature changed it back a little over a decade ago and said that in a case like this the jury could award no more than $750,000 in punitive damages. So what I think is going to happen is that judge will take that $45.2 million and reduce it to $750,000. That's a big difference. It's a huge difference, right? And and so that's where the the Sandy Hook family will challenge that, right? They will say that that law is unconstitutional, that it takes away their legal rights. And my guess is the Court of Appeals in Texas will be considering that argument uh, a year from now. But I don't think this judge has much choice. I think what she will be forced to do is say, you know, she can say, I don't like this law, or she can say, I'm going to apply this law, whether I like it or not. I'm going to cut that $45.2 million down to $750,000. So this family 
the most they can expect out of this trial court judge, the piece of paper they will get at the end, will be no more than $4.85 million the 4.1 million in compensatory damages and the judge may reduce that we don't know she has the power to reduce it she has the power to increase it um or and plus the the maximum of $750,000 in punitive damages so in the end if this goes you know back to court again for an appeal how many appeals can be filed and the appeals i guess would be filed well they could be filed i guess from both sides both sides could appeal, yes. Alex Jones would be saying, um, it was wrong of the judge to enter this default judgment. I should have been able to have a trial on the merits. My, what I said was free speech. Um, uh, and the, the amount of money they awarded was too much. And the Sandy Hook family can say everything was done right, except we should be able to keep the entire amount that was awarded by the jury in punitive damages. And that can take several years because the next step is the Texas Court of Civil Appeals. And then one side or the other can ask the Texas Supreme Court to review the case. The Texas Court of Civil Appeals has to hear the appeal if one is filed. They have no choice in it. The Texas Supreme Court has discretion whether or not to accept an appeal. And then theoretically speaking, the United States Supreme Court if asked, could hear the case, the chances of that are about the same as me running a sub four minute mile. Now, when you say the courts have to hear that appeal, are they literally going through an entire trial or are they just reading over the original case? What are they doing? They read what lawyers call the record. And the record is what was filed in court and a transcript of the evidence. People have seen on TV uh, what we call a court reporter sitting there writing down on a machine what everybody's saying. That's what they have access to. So the, the, there's three appellate judges in the Texas Civil Court of Appeals, just as in Tennessee, and they look at certain issues that the parties raised and then they refer to the record, which includes the transcript. Okay, so they go back, reread all of that information, and then they decide we're either going to push this thing through and send it back to the lower courts, or, or what? What's the other choice? Or we affirm it. We say that it was done right, or that any mistakes made didn't make a difference in the outcome of the trial. Because no trial is perfect, right? Yeah. I mean, and it, this is... You want to talk about an esoteric topic, we could talk about the law of appeals <laughs> sometime. But to, suffice it to say that the, it is not ordinarily the job of an appellate court to set aside a jury verdict based on the facts. That is what the jury decided the facts were. Yeah. The, in Tennessee, the standard is, is there any material evidence to support what the jury did? And usually they'd stick with what the jury did. What the appellate court is looking at is were there mistakes of law made or was there misconduct by a judge or a lawyer? That's what they're looking for. So it's, a, it's an entirely different exercise. You don't get another bite at the apple in the court of appeals. You get a bite of a bite of the apple and the smaller bite is questions of law. I, from what I have read about the whole Alex Jones case, there was also an incident where I believe Jones's attorney supposedly or accidentally sent information about 
things they were going to bring up in court to the other side. Well, the way I read it, Scott, was that a paralegal uh, working for one of Mr. Jones's lawyers mistakenly sent the contents of his cell phone for the last two years, plus some other information to opposing counsel. And, and the other information is under a protective order. That is, the judge has said, don't share this with anybody else up in Connecticut. So the information was shared. Now, this sometimes happens in lawsuits where one lawyer will get something that he or she is not supposed to get. Okay? But can they use it? Well, Texas has a procedure. Uh, and what the lawyer for the Sandy Hook family said, he wrote an email. I've seen the email. wrote back and said, I think you sent me something you weren't supposed to send. Okay? Yeah. And I've had to do this before. You know, I come across something that's very juicy, and I say, stop, I can't, and then I have to literally fold it up and put it away, and I have to stop reading it. And I call up my adversary, and I say, you messed up. You sent me a letter to your client. <laughs> I can't read that. You know, yeah. I know I can't read that. So there's a process for that. Under Texas law, the when the lawyer for the Sandy Hook family notified Alex Jones's lawyer that he that he the Sandy Hook lawyer had received stuff by mistake that lawyer has certain obligations the second lawyer the lawyer whose firm mistakenly sent the information and he has to do certain things within 10 days there's a what they clawback procedure there's <laughs> There's a way that you can get information back that you mistakenly send, but after 10 days, it's wide open. Well, so it can be used if nothing is said. If, if the right things aren't done within the 10-day period. So what the, the lawyer for the plaintiffs in the case, the Sandy Hook family, said, I waited 10 days, and you didn't do what you're supposed to do, so I'm bringing it out all in court. And it just so happened that Alex Jones was on the witness stand when that happened. And it created what Alex Jones himself said was a Perry Mason moment for the lawyer. This could really hurt a case or or make a case. Yes, I mean, there are um, there is confidential information that doesn't have to be turned over as part of the discovery process. Okay, there's certain things you can legitimately withhold. A lot of this stuff that was being withheld, that was mistakenly produced, should have been produced years earlier. <laughs> ah. Okay? Because, but it wasn't. That's what resulted in Alex Jones losing for fair to per turn it over. But there's other stuff on this phone. You know, for instance, Alex Jones has allegedly sent a photograph of his wife wearing less than all of her clothes to Roger Stone. That was on this phone. Okay, there is no way that had anything to do yeah. <laughs> with the lawsuit involving the Sandy Hook family. But all of us have lots of things on our phone that, you know, many of us keep a lot of our life on that phone, right? We don't have any naked pictures of our spouses. <laughs> I don't. I, I promise. It's probably Joy, not if you're listening, thing. I don't have anything <laughs> like that. You know I don't. But But when that phone got turned over... I'm not going to say it, it changed the trial. What I'm saying is it 
it was a uh, exciting moment uh, for everybody involved. I'm sure the lawyer for Mr. Jones had a very sinking feeling. I'm sure. Do you see any cases remotely close to like what's happening with the Alex Jones case here in Tennessee? Oh, there's some really interesting things that have happened in courtrooms. Um, you know, I'm, I'm involved in a case right now where some things were turned over that, you know, um, I, I can't get into. But it's, suffice it to say that, yeah, things, things happen. One of the strangest things is a doctor who was accused of altering medical records in a case. And he denied altering them, and he was presented with a, a original that was different than the one that was turned over. And he denied knowing anything about it. And then there was a break during this deposition, which out of court statement, it was being taken on videotape. And everybody left the room except the doctor, and the camera was mistakenly left on. And it caught the doctor eating the document. Wow. In other words, he destroyed it by putting it in his mouth and chewing it up. <laughs> so, no. Now, would that be allowed in the court? I mean, obviously no. you're not supposed to be eating the documents, but, but if it's caught on camera in the courtroom, then that's fair game for the other side to use. Well, right? it wasn't a courtroom. This is in a lawyer's conference room. But oh, yeah, okay. you know, it's definitely fair game for it to be used. Yes, because you, you can't, first of all, it's an exhibit. You can't destroy that information, but you couldn't destroy it otherwise because it is relevant to the proceedings of the case. Sure. So, yeah, there these moments do exist. Um, I guess people are people. Sometimes they do some dumb things. Well, yes. People have and always will make horrible mistakes in judgment, mm -hmm. right? It's just it's one of those things that just happens. And the good news is it doesn't happen a lot, but sometimes it happens. And sometimes it happens, obviously, at the wrong moment and about the wrong situation. Yes. I mean, it's, you know, like I said, people are human. And they, um, you know, they're, that's the sort of mistake um, that is actually physically eating a document. That's a whole different level of misconduct than is mistakenly sending your opposing lawyer private cell phone conversations, right? I totally mean, different. That's yeah. totally, that's that's clicking a button. That's a, a paralegal mistake. It shouldn't happen. But it, I, I'm, I'm confident that that was not intentional. Uh, choosing to destroy evidence is something, or choosing to hide it, yeah. that is a much more deliberate effort that indicates bad motives, right? Hey, and if somebody out there listening has a situation that occurred to them that they feel like they were wronged, maybe it's medical, do they just call you to find out you know, if this is going to be a, a potential case or if it's not? Well, I... I've, People are wronged all the time, um, but when there's no injury, there's not much they can do about it except complain, right? Yeah. But if yeah, if people have been injured by a wrong, it makes sense to talk to a, a, a lawyer who's experienced who can help guide them in determining whether there's any remedy for that wrong, if there's something they can actually do for it. I know we only have a minute left, but... 
insurance is one of those things everybody is always talking about and, and medical insurance for one if a doctor wrongfully changes something they previously wrote down in a diagnosis or something and that disables that person from getting insurance insurance coverage medical insurance coverage because of something the doctor said that was untrue would that just be the same as somebody i don't know wrongfully i don't know speaking out about somebody i mean how, how do you decide the different levels of wrong and and all that well first of all doctors like anybody else can make a mistake when they're entering things in their records so the fact that somebody mistakenly writes in your records that you have a history of heart disease when in fact you don't <laughs> and that may cost you the ability to get disability insurance or life insurance do you have a claim against this doctor if if i would counsel somebody who called me about that to say don't think about that go to your doctor and ask him or her to fix it yeah <laughs> because give them the chance because you could click the wrong box you can write you know you can confuse things everything go to computer. your doctor and have a conversation with them and see if they can correct the record that's that's the way to approach that attorney john day with us this morning it is nine o'clock you're listening to wgns murphy's bro and folks can go to your website to get more information phone numbers all that stuff it's all there. All there. John Day, well, thank you for joining us this morning. Thanks, Scott. Have a great weekend. Stay with us. Local news is next.